right, guys. Well, y'all can have a seat. And if you are, as you're heading to your seat, if you're already at your seat, you guys could go to 1 Corinthians 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. In that passage, you read ahead, then you should be really excited to see what in the world is going to happen today. But before we uh, get started, I want to just take a little bit of time to pray um, for some friends of ours. Uh, I don't know them personally, but a lot of them, a lot of you guys might know them, but Heather and Dustin Rhodes, um, they're friends of ours who uh, are a part of Open Gate. And uh, Dustin is going through a really hard time. COVID has really hit him heavy, and they've actually got him on a flight out of here to a bigger hospital. Um, and so he's just doing not so well. Um, also, Cliff Clotson, who is the pastor over at Open Gate, his father has had a couple of masses removed. Um, they've been down in uh, Denver, I think is where they are. And so I just want to take some time to pray for our friends over at Open Gate and all they have going on. And so uh, wherever you are, if you just want to pray for them. So it's Heather and Dustin who are going to be uh, who are uh, not in Cody right now, who are going through COVID, and uh, we're just praying that he would be healed and brought back out of that. And also Cliff Clotson's dad, I don't have his name unless somebody could shout it to me. One more time. Rami? Oh, yes, right. Rami. Uh, Rami Clotson. If we pray for him as well, that he just have a quick recovery and it just the doctors would be proud of their work. Um, but alt- ultimately, we're praying that God would be glorified no matter what happens in both of their lives. Okay, let's pray for them right now. Father, you're the creator of heaven and earth. You're creator of the human body. You know every single one of us down to ourselves. You knit us together in our mother's wombs, what scripture says. But because of sin and what it's done in this world, this world's been corrupted and tainted. And so cancer and brokenness and sickness and disease now reign in this world. And uh, we just want to pray for our friends Heather and Dustin that it would no longer reign in Dustin's body. You're the God who can heal. We believe in faith that you can do that. And so we just lift up a prayer to you that you be glorified through the healing of Dustin. God, that whether it's through the wisdom of men which you provide or whether it's your miraculous spirit healing him, that they would be able to come home to hang with their kids and their kids would have their daddy. We pray for Rami Clodson, that you would also provide a good bill of health, that he would heal and recover well. Pray for um, their family, that this would be a time where they could be around uh, their grandfather, their father, and love and care for him. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are at Open Gate, who are the church with us. Uh, we pray that they would be strengthened and built up and that in this season of, of sickness and fear, anxiety, that they would find that you provide a supernatural peace that guards their hearts in their mi- and their minds in Christ Jesus, as you promised in Philippians 4. And I pray this morning as we dive into the scripture that you would heal our hearts and our minds which are so easily tempted to sway and shift and wander from the truth, to become focused on ourselves. And we thank you, God, that you've healed us of our sin. We pray that you would sanctify us more into the image of Christ every day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, guys. Hey, I want to also let you know in November, we're going to be doing, we're going to take a break from Corinthians, and we're going to spend three weeks uh, talking about marriage, okay? Let me go ahead and give you just uh, insight on what it's going to look like. On the first week, we're going to talk about marriage. What is it? Okay, and we're going to define what is marriage biblically. The next week, we're going to talk about divorce. Are there any exceptions? And we're going to talk through that. What do we see in Scripture? And from the leadership team to you, we're going to present to you what we see Scripture to say. And then finally, we're going to spend half a message uh, talking about remarriage and what do we think the Bible shows about that. And so the word we tie to that is reconciliation. And then the second half of that message, we're going to go a little crazy, and we're going to have a Q&A. We're going to let you just ask any question you want, all right? Call us crazy, all right? But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And here's what I'll tell you. You've asked, it's going to be a sweet time, it's going to be fun, or we'll never do anything like it again. We'll see, all right? I have no idea. 
You know, live and learn, right? So marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So it's, it's not a, hey, here's the best tips and tricks for the, uh, a wonderful, hot, you know, marriage. It's going to be talking about just what does the Bible have to say about marriage, divorce, remarriage. We're going to talk about it. Now, listen, if you are single, if you're in high school, or middle school, it is the best thing for you to listen to. It's not just meant for married couples. In fact, it's foolish to say, I only want to hear about what marriage is when I get married. That's not smart, Right? Better to know what it is about so that you know what you're, one, getting into, two, what you're looking for, okay, and how to glorify God. Sound good? You know, hopefully you're excited. It's going to be a fun time. Somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's never going to come back. It's going to be awesome, all right? Now, let me pray for us uh, because we're going into 1 Corinthians 14. Just real quick, just, man, pray that our hearts and our minds will be open and enlightened to the Word of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we might understand and freely understand the things given to us by God, as he says in 1 Corinthians 2, okay? God, I need your help. You've spiritually gifted me with the ability to be able to teach and preach your word, but I am also a fallible man. I am a sinner. And so everything that comes out of my mouth um, <clears throat> is not perfect. And our ears in this room and our hearts in this room are fallible. They are weak because of sin. We were coming with, already coming with uh, experiences to this conversation. We're already coming with ideas and thoughts and opinions. But Jesus, you're true, and you know how this is supposed to be clearly taught. So I pray by the power of the Spirit in me and in our friends in this room, we would be able to understand what you're trying to tell us here. And, um, and God, if there's anything in me that's trying to seek self-glory, I pray that you would crush it. And uh, this would just be a space where we all together as a group of sinners can be built up to be like you, Jesus. That's what we want. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's just read the passage together. It's kind of long. We're going to read 25 verses. Okay, I'm going to read them to you, just giving you a chance to have a little bit of a larger context. And then we're going to kind of go through it a little bit by little bit. And hopefully by the time you leave this place, you feel a little bit more of an understanding um, or uh, you have a little more of excitement to dive in and see more of what God has for us. But 1 Corinthians 14, I'm really excited. Let's read this together. Um, I'm going to read it. You follow along. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm in the English Standard Version, so if you're wondering, there you go. Here we go. This is Paul. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. Now, brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, you, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. <clears throat> there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may, he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless... In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Put 
uh, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange, strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or unbeliever enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among them. Whew. Ready? Let's do this. Let's dive on in to this passage. Now, I did a Google search this past week, and if you do the same Google search <clears throat> to find out um, what it looks like to live for something bigger than yourself, you're going to find that there are countless gurus, psychologists, pastors, coaches, teachers, generals, presidents, and the like, who are all going to tell you that it is far better to live for something greater than yourself than to live only for yourself. Would you agree? No, you don't, apparently, the two of you. I don't have my contacts in, so I can't see if you're nodding. You're going to have to be vocal, all right? You're going to have to speak in English tongues today. <clears throat> so here's the thing. I think most of us agree, all leaders kind of agree, but I don't know that we're quite convinced that God works in miracles. Despite all the sports movies of hockey teams beating the Russians or high school football teams overcoming racial division, we don't believe in miracles anymore. We don't believe that God can do far more abundantly than we ever ask, think, or imagine when we come together to be his church. In fact, I would say that in the age of radical individualism, which we've been talking about, though we like those stories, we will buy tickets to go watch those movies, we are convinced that it is far better that we take care of me, oh my, take care of number one, that it's better that we do that. It's because we're still believing in the same deception, guys, that what happened in the garden we believe that God is not for us, that he's only trying to rip us off, so we better take care of ourselves, because who else is going to take care of us? And that is a wrong belief, is what the Bible puts forward. It's a wrong belief. It's dangerous. And wrong beliefs will always lead to wrong motivations, and wrong motivations will always lead us to weak actions. Did you know that your motivations are of equal, if not greater, importance than the things that you do? Did you know that? You see, you guys can attend thousands of church services throughout your life, read tens of thousands of verses, pray hundreds of thousands of prayers, and still find yourself on the way to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's not my words. Let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the greatest will of our Father? That we what? Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we love our neighbor as we even love ourselves. And say anything about stacking up services. In fact, this is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works, mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your motivation was purely for yourself. We can go to church for thousands of services, and we're all doing it for ourselves. Because we do not believe in what God wants to do with the body. We are doing this ultimately for ourselves. Today, we're looking at the Corinthians and what they were doing, trying to look at how they were using prophecy and more importantly, more specifically, speaking in tongues. And they were taking something that's meant to be a gift for the building up of a body together to glorify God. And they were taking it and they were using it and manipulating it in a way that it ultimately served their own self-glory. And I want to be honest, we need to hear this message because I, just like all of you, 
are using a lot of the means in our life, the means of grace that God has given us, not to serve others or to glorify God and to love him. We're using it ultimately to feel better about ourselves, feel a little bit more hope, feel a little bit more peace. Like, I mean, the amount of times that we, don't you think about it, how quickly we run to, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been to church in a while, but I'm gonna get there. And the anxiety is like, like somehow your church attendance, God is getting more and more disappointed. He said, hey, listen, I, you could prophesy, you could speak in tongues and do that, but don't you dare miss church, right? So we're going to take today, and I'm hoping by God's grace, me and all of us, we'll see that these means of grace that God has given us are just opportunities for us to serve and love the God who loved us, who's already justified us, no longer in a courtroom, who's already adopted us, already in the family of God. Okay, so we're going to look at this together. You guys ready? Let's do this. Verse 1, look what it says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, it, last week, if you got to hear, if you didn't listen, you can go back and listen on the podcast, but we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage about love, and he puts it in the middle of this large conversation of chapters 12, 13, 14 about speaking in tongues, this big problem that's going on in the church, okay? And he says that the foundation of everything that we do in the church is love. It's, it's love. It is the foundation of everything we do. It's a foundation for building up the body of Christ. We build up the body of Christ not because some pastor manipulated us to be a part of it. We build up the body of Christ because we love Christ's bride. Amen? We love the church. We love her. And the reason why we love her is because Jesus laid down a cornerstone, a real foundation stone. And uh, have you ever heard that Jesus is the cornerstone? Anybody ever hear that? You know anything about cornerstones? Cornerstone, the Jewish culture actually took the idea of a cornerstone for the Babylonians. And what they would do, the Babylonians would take it and they would set a cornerstone. Before they did set this cornerstone, all right, which a cornerstone, if it's the first thing you set, it's going to set the direction of the rest of the foundation, isn't it? It's showing you this direction and that direction. It's the corner. And it's showing you where this building is going to be placed. So before they lay that cornerstone down, they would actually offer a blood sacrifice that they would place underneath that cornerstone. Y'all making the jump here? Who's our cornerstone? Who's our blood sacrifice? Through the loving sacrifice of our God. Why did he lay his life down for you? Somebody say it. Because he loves us. He loves us. So he, the blood of Jesus, sets this foundation of a sacrificial love for his body. And from there, the foundation is set. And every stone, everything that's built, every means of grace that we pour into the building up of the body of Christ, all of it, is done for sacrificial love, following the chief stone. Hey, we're following his lead. And so everything that we do is motivated by love. So check this out. If you, if you follow that thinking and you go to the next part where it says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now here's the thing. Some of y'all, spiritual gifts, you feel like it's a little spooky, okay? Kind of creeps you out, makes you feel uncomfortable. And he's saying, look, earnestly desire it. What does he mean by that? He says, you should want the spiritual gifts. Why do you want them? Because you love the body. That's why. Let me give you an illustration. It's kind of like, anybody ever, like, ever dream of winning the lottery? Anybody? Okay, ever believe that's gonna happen? Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, one person like, yeah, totally, right now. Um, buy me a ticket. No, I, I've, I've thought about it, you know, and every person I've talked to who's thought about winning a lottery ticket, they always talk about all the problems they're gonna solve, right? If I had that massive means, Here's what I would do with it, all right? I would pay off my mother's cancer bills. I would pay off my mom's house. I would pay off my house. I would pay for my friends uh, uh, off all their school debt and all these things. I would pay for my kids to go to college. I would, do, I would solve so many problems. Man, I would love that, right? Is it any different with the spiritual gifts? No. It's wealth beyond measure that brings life transformation. We should be going, man, I've got gifts. I want to bring them to the table, and I'm going to be a benefit. In fact, if God would grace me, I would love more because I could benefit more people with my giftings. Imagine if a group of people called the church actually did that, where you go, i got something I'm going to bring to the table. Man, I'm going to bring it. You bring yours. Let's go. Everyone bring it together. Let's pull this resource of spiritual gifting from God, and let's see what God can do. Let's solve some problems together. How cool would that be? If you love the church, that's what you would be saying. If you're saying this, man, I just don't have time. People are complicated. I'm like, sweet, 
Go find some other group that just hangs out and does cheers together. I don't know. But the church, we have a, a foundation stone, a cornerstone that's soaked in blood and sacrifice. Because they love. Love motivates our desire to want to use our gifts, to discover them, develop them, and deploy them. And in fact, if you're wise, you'll be going, God, man, give me more that I might be a blessing because I love the church. So with our service, with our helps, with mercy, teaching, preaching, administrating, uh, with our finances, our time, and yes, with our prophecy and our tongues, Let's glorify the Lord. Now, we're about to launch into prophecy in tongues, and it's going to get complicated. So here's what we're going to do, all right? A lot of different opinions on this, and so let me be very careful. If you want to walk into a contentious conversation, all right, one of the best things you could do is define your terms, because you both can be saying one thing but meaning completely different things, right? Does that make sense? And so, um, uh, so let me define my terms, and then let me also, at the same time, before I do this, let me confess to you right now there's a little bit of I don't know what I'm talking about. And if I really knew, it'd probably be a lot of bit of I don't know what I'm talking about. So I, I'm diving into this, and guys, I, the more I study this, the more I'm like, gosh, I don't know where I should land. All right? So as I define these, at least you'll understand where I'm going and how I'm coming to my conclusions. But let me tell you, I'm not about to beat anybody across the head with my opinion here. You understand? So there's some freedom here. All right, so let me just define prophecy as I see it. And I'm actually going to give you three definitions, and I'll tell you why. So first of all, what is prophecy? Here's one way to look at prophecy that I've discovered, okay? Prophecy refers to speech that reports something that God spontaneously brings to mind or reveals to the speaker, but which is uh, spoken in merely human words not words of God. So, therefore, it can have mistakes and must be tested or evaluated. All right? What does that look like? It's these times where man's like, hey, I feel, I, look, I'm not saying God's telling me this, but I, I want to tell you, I think you need to hear this. Test it. Is it line up with God's word? Is this, if it's true, I, I don't know, but I feel like I need to tell you this. Okay? I'm going to tie it again to something else here at the end as I tell you the other two. Second one. Um, is this. An alternate view of this gift is that it involves speaking the words of God with authority equal to the Old Testament prophets and equal to Scripture. In other words, it's infallible. Thus says the Lord. I hear him say, I repeat what he says, and that's it. And God says nothing that's fallible. It's nothing that's corrupt and broken or not true. Okay, I think... That's, that's a, a view right there. Here's the third interpretation of this. The third interpretation is that it is very similar to the gifts of preaching and teaching. Okay? Some people in this camp call it truth-telling, that prophecy is truth-telling. Okay? Because what do we call this? Other than calling it the Bible, we call it the, the truth. We call it the Word of God, right? Call it the Word of God, which is true. And so if this is the Word of God... And this is true, and I'm getting up here, and I'm teaching you the Word of God. I'm like, hey, thus says the Lord, and I'm trying to bring it to you, okay? Then I'm trying to communicate prophetically truth-telling. Uh, uh, now, where do I land on these three? Let me tell you, and I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I land in all three, okay? I land in all three. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to avoid some controversy and, like, be indecisive. I could care less what you think. I just am looking at this going, I see this in all three. And I have, there are men that I highly respect who've written from different points of view, these three points, and they all disagree with each other. And I read them, I go, I see this. I, mean, I see, number one, uh, there have been times where I've been preaching or teaching, and as I'm teaching and preaching and sharing something in one service, okay, in the second service, I say something that one's not in my notes, and two, I didn't say it in the first service. And I say this. And I don't know why I said it. And after that service, I remember a, a man and a woman came up to me and said, hey, um, when you said this, did you know what's going on in our life? And I said, I, I don't even know you. They said, that spoke directly to what we got going on in our life. And I said, listen, you need to hear something. One, didn't even write that down. Number two, didn't even say it in the first service. I don't even know why I said it in the second. But if, if you hear that and that's exactly what you needed to hear, then I want you to, one, Check the scripture and see if that's accurate. 
But two, I want you to consider that might be God trying to tell you something. I say that's prophetic in a way. So I see all three, three of these to be true. Now, that doesn't help you. I'm sorry. I'm doing the very best that I can. I warned you. All right? That one's tough. Now, speaking in tongues. I feel pretty solid on this one. I may be wrong, but I feel pretty solid. Speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift of language, intelligible language, that helps bridge a linguistic gap to a person who would otherwise be an outsider to the message of the gospel. Is that clear? Should I say it one more time? A spiritual gift of language that helps bridge a linguistic, a language gap to a person who otherwise would be an outsider to the message of the gospel. So me, I speak English and that's it, okay? And if I go down to Mexico and I'm in a region and I want to share the gospel with these people, but they only speak Spanish and God supernaturally gives me the ability to be able to speak the gospel in Spanish to them. That's what that gift is. That's how I define that gift to me. It's language. Or that God gifts another person to translate what I'm saying to those people. You understand? That's just my definition. You may disagree, but at least you'll understand the conclusions I come to as we go through this. All right? Anybody feeling comfortable? Cool. Let's go. So let's dive in. Paul is now going to set up, why do I define tongues prophecy? Because Paul is actually going to make some critique on the way that they're doing speaking in tongues by showcasing prophecy. All right? He's going to bring clarity to this by showcasing the two next to each other. So let's do this. Let's go. For one who speaks in a tongue, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, pause. All right? A common conclusion by some is that this reveals that speaking in tongues uh, is most often a spiritual prayer or praise that comes over a person that leads to personal benefit. Okay? Some would call this a private prayer language. Maybe you've heard of that. It's something that's personal, it's for you to benefit you. A language that blesses the speaker, though he doesn't, the speaker doesn't even understand what he's saying. Now, I don't agree with this position for several reasons that we're going to get into throughout this time. But first, I want you to understand, and it's so important you understand this, Paul is critiquing the Corinthians here. This whole passage is a critique Okay, he's critiquing the Corinthians' use of tongues. And so there's going to be some assumption on Paul's part as to what they're doing. And now it's on us to figure out what in the world are the Corinthians doing. All right? Paul's saying this for a reason because he knows what's going on. We don't know really what's going on in the Corinthian church. So it's our job to sit here and go, what's going on? Read the clues. Newsflash. It's uh, unfortunately kind of muddy what was going on there but I think we can get some ideas of what was happening, okay? So let's take a look at verse three. He says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, all right? He's like, don't get me wrong. I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. And here's the key. Here's the key, unless, you see that word? If you have a Bible, underline that. It's so important you see this. This is a clue. Unless someone interprets. So prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless somebody interprets it, and then they're equal. Why? Uh, Unless somebody interprets, so that the church may be built up. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Build up the body of Christ. So speaking in tongues is not meant to be something that is a private thing. Every gift is meant to be a blessing to serve the body. So Paul's showcasing right here, look, hey, when you speak in prophetic language, in my language, I understand what you're saying, and I can be built up, I can be encouraged, I can be consoled, but if you speak in a language and nobody in the room knows what you're talking about, you're benefiting nobody except for, go back to verse 2, yourself. Why? Because you're the only one who knows what you're talking about. You're the only one who understands what you're saying. Okay, so listen. Because of the amount of time that's being given to the topic of tongues in 12 to 14, it's safe to assume that the Corinthians had an infatuation with speaking in tongues. 
They saw it as a sign of spiritual superiority or favor, okay, that if you spoke in tongues, you were kind of like a favored person. And therefore, they focused on this gift far too, uh, too often. And that is extremely dangerous. Why is that so dangerous? To become over-focused on one particular to- uh, doctrine, gift, practice. Why is that a problem? Well, it's kind of like this. Let me give you an illustration. Have you ever heard people say, hey, we want to be a Bible church? Anybody heard that? We want to be a Bible church. Or you've heard people say, you know, we want to be a mission church, right? We want to be a church on mission. Or you've heard people say, we want to be a Holy Spirit church, a Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered church. Are you guys kind of cool with all three of those? Yeah, I, I am. I would like to be a Bible church that's also a mission church, that's also a Holy Spirit-filled church. That would be kind of nice, right? I think Mark Dever, who wrote the book, what, you know, what is a Healthy Church? Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, um, says it well. He said, shouldn't we be asking or shouldn't we be saying, we want to be a healthy church? Because healthy churches focus on their Bible. Healthy churches live on mission. Healthy churches are filled with the Spirit. Healthy churches worship, pray, fast, meditate, serve, care. They do all these things. That's what a healthy church does. Remember, the purpose of a gift is that, that have been given to us as the upbuilding of the body of Christ, which means they are meant to unite us, right? We're supposed to be united. But what happens when we get so focused on one particular doctrine or thing, it could cause division, Okay? You, you see, it's, it's, the, it's the reason that there are so many denominations, in my opinion. It's the reason why they exist, all right? Denominations happen when uh, suddenly um, a, a desire to restore some aspect of Christianity that's lacking in the body comes, which is a good desire. Hey, let's bring back our Bible. Let's bring back baptism. Let's bring back the works of the Spirit. Let's bring these back in. But what happens is they bring them back and then they overcorrect and they make it the only thing. And when you make it the only thing, it leads to division, leads to separations. It's the reason why I believe there's so many denominations. Because they course correct so far. So they say, hey, we want to be a Bible church. And they go, hold on. So they start making up new rules. We want to be a Bible church, but so we're going to be a, let us be a little more specific. We're going to be a King James only church. Now, I'm not trying to knock Baptists. I grew up in a King James only church. But I want to tell you right now, nothing in the, all of the cosmos says that God planned for the King James to be the only version for all of humanity to read. They course correct and go too far and fall into heresy. Okay? And then we go, we'll say, well, we want to be a missionary church. And so they, they focus on missions. We want to be on missions. And then what I see is they, they want to go, they're like, we're going to go to Scandinavia, we're going to go to South Africa, we're going to go to South America. And they're focused on all these places to send money, send missionaries, do these things. But then they get so focused on that, they forget to be missionaries where they live. They don't disciple anybody around them. Just get the money out to the missionaries. Or say, well, hey, we want to be a Holy Spirit filled, empowered church. And so they start to take something like this, the Corinthians, and many churches today take something like this and they go, uh, and they make more of it than it really is. And they begin to speak in gibberish. And they begin to say, you cannot even be saved unless you speak in a tongue. And uh, you know what? And so they start running aisles and doing craziness when God says, I'm a God of order, not chaos. We're going to see that in the second half of chapter 14. And they go into utter chaos and they shut their brains off and let their hearts go wild. It's, hey, you were raising a good thing and then you went the wrong way. Shouldn't we seek to be a healthy church? The Corinthians were making so much of one thing, and it was leading to destruction. Do you understand that? You see that? Some of you, you feel that. You like hear the, what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, I see how that happened. If you want a, even better evidence, some of the denominations tell exactly what they're about to you, right? You want to know what the denomination called the Baptists are about? Anybody wondering? They separated themselves. Hey, we're about baptism. We care about this. And we're like, that's great. We all do too. And then they got even more separated. But we live in the South, so we're the Southern Baptists. I'm just kidding. I'm from Southern Baptists. I'm just making fun of how silly we can be as a church as we overcorrect and pursue things that are good, but then we go too far. So it seems that in Corinth, they were blown away by the miracle of tongues. And man, who wouldn't be, right? How amazing is that? But as Paul says, the way that they were practicing it was not benefiting the body as a whole. 
Paul says that it was uh, only benefiting the person who was speaking, which I believe is the key to understanding this whole passage, the whole problem. The gift was not being used the way it was intended, which like all gifts was meant for the building of the body. Instead, it was being used to make much of oneself. And now, if that is the case, then I doubt whether the Corinthians were actually being spiritually empowered to do it. I doubt that the Corinthians were actually speaking tongues. In fact, I think they were going, they wanted it so bad, they were so desperate for it, they began to go into these fake versions of it that weren't actually true. And uh, it was leading to their downfall. And I believe that because any single time, anytime you take something that God has given us and you use it to serve yourself, it always leads to distortion. Always. We were having a conversation in the office about this, talking just about things. There's nothing in this world that's inherently evil. But when you begin to take something and use it only to serve yourself, you could use it for evil means. And I'll tell you right now, Satan wants us to use even our spiritual giftings only to serve ourselves, because he knows it will destroy us because of our selfishness. So let's go on to verse 6. He says this. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, he's going to explain a little more and make the argument and make it more clear. If I come speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will uh, or who will get ready for battle? Okay? It's kind of like if I came over here to play this piano. Right now, I can't play the piano. All right? At all. And if I came over to the piano and I just started, hey, guys, I'm going to play you a song and I want you to tell me what song I'm playing. And I start just hitting notes. Hey, what's, what song am I playing, y'all? None of you are going to join in. You have no idea what's going on. But if Chet comes up here and he begins to tickle out the keys and start play, it starts playing Amazing Grace. I didn't even tell you what it is. You guys will just be like, Amazing Grace. Y'all are going to jump right in. Not only are you going to jump right in, you know where he's taking you. You know the song. Your brain immediately gets engaged and is involved in it. It takes you back to what you've known and learned. It stirs your heart towards Jesus. It does a ton. Why? Because it's intelligible. It makes sense. Greg was playing uh, gibberish, and a man who's gifted is playing something that makes sense, and it blesses the body. That is what Paul is saying here. So, with yourselves. Verse 9. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? What a waste of time. For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Guys, if I am correct that speaking in tongues refers to known language, which I think I'm right, then... These verses make it clear that the purpose of tongues is to declare the glory of God, the gospel, to those who would otherwise be outsiders. That's what it's for. And it's a miracle. And it's wonderful. I have some friends who work for Wycliffe Bible Translators. And uh, these men and women, they work for decades to translate, these, uh, translate the Bible into these languages so that people might have the knowledge and revelation and truth and prophecy of the Word of God. Now imagine if these friends of mine were to translate the Bible into Swahili, and they translate in Swahili, and then they come home, and they don't disperse it, they don't give it to anybody, they don't deploy it out there, they just take it home, and they go, and they go, hey, uh, honey, check this out, I made a Swahili Bible. Isn't that neat? Doesn't that benefit us? It's atrocious is what that is. Imagine if they said, hey, we made a Swahili Bible, and they produce a ton of them. And they go and they give them out to, I don't is Swahili a language? I hope so. I'm just like running with it. And they're, they like go and they take it to these people, right? And they take it to the people and the people begin to open it and they go, hey, what's this? Well, that's Swahili. It's a Bible. It's the word of God. And like, they look at it and go, no, that's just a, it's a jumble of letters. Those don't, that doesn't say anything. Are you serious? Did you just print all of this on all this paper? It doesn't say anything. What a waste of time. Do you see? It's meant to bridge a gap so that people might know the goodness of God. So that it might be a benefit to them. Verse 12, so it is with your so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit. He kind of calls them out. Hey, you guys are eager beavers for this. But think what he says. Strive to excel in building up the church. 
You know what sets good bumpers on the lanes for this? Hey, you want to be eager? You, how many of you guys, like when you were bowling with your kid, you go find the lightest ball possible, right? It's like that little pink ball. You can only get one finger in it. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wreck this thing, right? And you just ah, sling it. And if you've got the bumpers on, you could just go flying down that thing, right? He's saying, look, hey, you want to grab the light? You want to go after it? You want to rip that thing down the lane? We love that. But let me set the bumpers for you. This better be for building up others and not about you. That's what he's saying. Set your minds on the right end. You came to church today. Why did you come here? You didn't come to church. You are the church. Or you're not. And if you're not, we'd like to talk to you about that. Why did you come here today? Set your minds on the right end. The Corinthians were coming together to serve their own end. They're operating in selfishness. And I think I and you guys, we do this, man. We come here for our own personal gain, for own personal experiences. Hey, what'd you get out of the message? Why don't we start asking yourself, hey, what did you give this morning? I don't talk about finances. Hey, what are you giving as the church this week? What are you being about? How are you using and deploying your giftings rather than rating my teachings with stars? Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Look, if you get a tongue, man, praise be to God, but pray that God helps you interpret it or else just kind of keep your mouth shut, okay? Because you're not going to help anybody. For if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? In other words, he's saying, hey, if you're just making a bunch of like guttural sounds and all these things but your brain's not actually engaged, what's the point? Look what he says next. What should I do? I, I will pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. I'm going to connect the two. If I, if I sing praise with my spirit but I will also uh, sing with my mind also. What he's trying to say is like, look, God has given you a body, a spirit, and a mind. And he's saying they're all good and they're all meant to be together. In fact, when your spirit leaves your body, if you die on this earth and you go to heaven, it says that the spirit longs to be reunited with the body. He's saying, look, if I've asked, what does God ask you to do? When he says, what's the greatest law? To love the Lord your God with all of your what? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, your body. Everything needs to be included when you do this. He's saying, guys, this should not be some like unintelligible, meaningless gibberish. He's saying, guys, this should be making sense. This should be practical. This should be blood and guts on the ground, do something for somebody, like make sense kind of ministry here. Not mindless. Here's the thing. There's a lot of things, churches, they, they, they come together and they want to be all spirit and they just shut their brains off and they're living wild and they're not listening to God's word. But then there's other churches, and I've been in them, I hope this isn't one, where they're all mind and they're just dusty and dead and dry. Dry as the papers of their commentaries. And they're just, man, there's no spirit there. God's saying, I want you to have it all. I want you to be a healthy church. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I think says as well. Memorize this, guys. Write this down and memorize Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, just like Jesus, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world in its emotionalism and its division, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want you to know it. Use your brain. Otherwise, verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of outsider say amen to the thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Like, we want to be with you, but we don't know what you're talking about is what he's saying. Now, you're going, you guys are like, you think in the room like, well, I don't, nobody in here is speaking in tongues. How is this practical? We're going to get there. He says, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul's saying, look, I got a leg to stand on, guys. Yet, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. These Corinthians were so infatuated with the miracle that they lost sight of the practical. It's like a bodybuilder versus the world's strongest man, right? Bodybuilder, you look at those guys, you're like, wow, you look incredible, right? Look at all those muscles on that guy, right? His shoulders are bigger than my legs, but you look at a bodybuilder and you know, they can't even wipe their own butt. It's the most impractical thing in the whole world. Only thing it's good for is showing you what muscles actually exist in the human body. But if you go look at a world's strongest man, 
those guys got some practical strength. They're like pulling semis, they're pulling like oak trees out of the ground, right? Picking up atlas stones. I've never had to do that, but if I had to, I wish I was as strong as those guys. It's a practical strength that does something, that moves something that's powerful. But to get infatuated with miracles is to get infatuated with a bodybuilder, which practically does nothing. What a waste of time. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Be, like, think about this. In the law it is written, now listen to this. This is where you need to listen. Hopefully you're listening the whole time. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is he saying here? I think if you, everybody, if I ask everybody in this room, hey, what's the most famous time of speaking in tongues? You'd probably say Acts chapter 2, right? They're sitting in the upper room. There's 120 people that are in the upper room, and they're praying, and they're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit to descend. He finally descends and goes upon them, and then they begin to speak, and they're speaking the glory and the gospel, the goodness of God. And as they're speaking it, all these people, you know, a dozen languages all around them are hearing this good news, this gospel in their language. It's miraculous. It's wonderful. It's a miracle, isn't it? Crazy. How many of you want to be there? I wish I could have been there. But look what happens at the end of this passage. Two things. Acts chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says this. And all were amazed. All. All were amazed and perplexed. It caught everybody's attention. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Speaking in tongues builds up the body of Christ and the fact that it's a sign. It's a, whoa, what is this? There's no way. Those guys are Galileans. They're speaking in my language. I'm not even from here. I'm, in, I'm from Ethiopia. How, how is this happening? It catches their attention. But look what happens next. But others, mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They're just drunk. Which, I, I, so far, I've never seen a drunk man speak in a different language. So here's the thing. What is this passage saying? What is Paul trying to say here? He's like, listen, this will be a sign of blessing or judgment. You know why we have so many languages? Because when human beings got so prideful, they decided they were going to build a tower to heaven. And so no longer will the God of this cosmos flood us again. We're going to build all the way to the heavens. And if he wants to flood us, he'll flood himself. And what does God do? So in their arrogance and pride, he sends them out speaking different languages, and it's a judgment on them. And now the Corinthians in their pride are trying to use a gift which is meant to be a gospel of unity, bring people together. They're still seeking pridefully their own gain. They're not seeking the glory of God. And he's saying, listen, I will do this, and it'll be a sign, it will be a miracle, to you guys. And he's going to say, look at this. He's going to say this in verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. He's saying, look, those who don't know, do not know God, they're going to see this happen and go, wow, what is this? And either they will, one, go, I want that blessing that I'm hearing about, or two, they'll go, they're just drunk. I'm going to go about my way. It's a sign for unbelievers. But then he says this prophecy is what? It's a, let me find it. It says, uh, let me find it. I lost my spot. Where am I? Somebody tell me. 22. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Because we're speaking to you to edify you, to speak truth into your life and edify the body of Christ that already believes. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, here's the context, and all speak in tongues, and outsider unbeliever enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? It'll be a judgment. Especially if they come into a room and none of you are speaking a language to them. You're not using it as a sign. It's not the spirit working in it. It's you seeking yourself. It's just you just talking. It's all about you. And they're going to go, you guys are out of your minds. But listen to this. And here is where it matters. What happens? Listen to me. What happens when you, friend, what happens when you make the decision to be a good steward of the gift that God has given you all the gifts, spiritual, financial, time, everything. You say, you know what? I want to be a good steward of the gift, and I want to deploy it in the body of Christ. I want to use it to glorify God. What happens when we do that? This is what happens. 
verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Man, dream with me for a moment. What would it look like if each and every one of us, the church and Cody, just made the decision to say, I'm going all in with the family, I'm going to deploy my talent, my, get my time, talents, and treasures together with, the, together with the family. I'm going to stop just saying, oh, it's the pastor's job. I'm going to say, no, it's my job. These are my giftings, and I'm going to deploy them, and we're going to do this. What would happen? This is what happened. People's lives would be transformed. But not to our credit, to God's credit, the God who gives us the gifts. This is what God wants, guys. And how atrocious is it that we just hoard it in our rooms and go, look, honey, at how good I am. May we not be that church. May we be the church, unlike Corinth, that says we just want to excel still more in accomplishing God's purposes and building up the kingdom of God. I can't make that decision for you, but I'm begging and I'm praying for you every day that you would, you would make that decision. I'm trying to make that decision on my own, and I'm just one among many, but one man cannot do what God intends for the church to do, but the church is the hope of the world, a buttress of truth, and man, I'm telling you, God's name can be famous and people's lives can be transformed if we just decide to do it, y'all. Stop attending services. You can attend your way all the way to hell. Attend to God's business. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, you convict us, Lord, and you encourage us and you wake us up and you say, I want to use you. And I just want to ask you for your forgiveness, Lord, because there's so many ways that I just want to seek to use my giftings to glorify myself rather than lift you up. And I just want to pray uh, in front of all my friends that that's sin and I just want to ask your forgiveness. I'm going to leave this room and I'm going to think back that I say it well, did I not? And all that is motivated by is myself. And they're going to leave here too and they're going to second guess, am I doing enough? I'm, what am I supposed to do? And all these things. I just pray, Spirit, you would give us a spirit of peace. You would calm our hearts and our souls. That you remind us of your love and show us that you really do want to do far more abundantly than, we're, than we could ever ask, seek, or imagine if we'll just trust you in faith. I pray, give us faith to trust what you say, that you are good and that your love is great. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.